to the MC podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I'm the founder of MC Real Estate, which includes its members club for landlords and property investors to come and build profitable property portfolios that completely align with their goals. I have a freebie that if you haven't got it yet, you definitely need to download it. It is my property investment expansion success formula. And to get it, you go to mcrealestate.co.uk forward slash flowchart. I want you to pop in your name and your email address and I will send it straight through to you. Then once it's in your inbox, print it off, hang it on the wall so that you can keep going through it. I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes. So today I've got something really, really exciting. Somebody who I wanted to come on the podcast for a little while to answer questions that so many of you ask me on a, I guess, daily basis. So I've got Alice Williams here, who is head of property at Pilotfish. Hello, Alice. Hello, thanks for having me. No problem. We are talking everything all about finance today because Alice specializes in that and she does kind of the more hardcore finance, I'm going to say. <laughs> you, you deal with everything, don't you? Yeah, um, yeah. All sorts of different loans. I will let you talk through the different funding options that you help with. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we do, as you kind of alluded to, absolutely everything. My main focus is very much the bridging and development side, the fast pace, probably the largest scale, um, and the far quicker completions and more demanding to some extent. Um, and then we've also got a team that does the investment mortgages side. So they deal with the full portfolio refinances, the buy to let lending, especially in limited companies, which is becoming a far more popular strategy now. So we do cover pretty much everything that an investor would need in their war chest, essentially, as part of the financing package. Yes, and that's really important because do you get a lot of investors coming to you who are saying they're struggling to get mainstream lending? Yes, so we see a lot of people that are maybe going to their standard high street, they're maybe being less flexible or not quite there on the leverage um, putting those barriers in, even with the speed of the high street as well. So we take them to that next level up. We can show them the higher leverage options, the more flexible options, um, even things like a CCJ sitting in the background or even a blip on the credit file that happens to a lot of people, almost by no fault of their own. And you help find them solutions where traditionally it would have been just straight no's. Yeah. That's, a, that's something that's really needed. But a lot of people find it, they struggle with it because they don't know, right? Do you get people who yeah. turn you up and are asking just series of questions because they don't understand it? Yeah, and I think there's not much that's actually publicised about it either. So traditionally, it has always been go to your high street bank. If the high street bank say no, that's it. Full and final decision. Nothing else that can be done. And I don't think there's anybody shouting from the rooftops enough of the range of options available once the high street say no. The irony is that there's probably more non-high street options for whatever the finances you're seeking compared to the finance uh, compared to the high street options. And it's just so unknown to a lot of people. And are you, do, when you have uh, investors, are you using traditional banks as well as alternative investors 
Yeah, so it completely depends on the client. Um, you can have a sit down chat with them. And it may well be that they're with their high street. So, for example, a Lloyd's already, they're saying that they're not happy with the service, just as an example. But it may well be that actually Lloyd's are the best option for them or refinancing us for another high street. Um, but equally, if they've got those credit blips in the background or seeking a higher leverage or want to do more than one strategy, then it may well be that someone outside of the high street mainstream lenders is the option for them. And what different options do you have? In general, um, you've got everything from the lenders that like serviced accommodation. Um, you've got the ones that deal with a lack of experience. So first time landlords, especially with things like HMOs, serviced accommodation, that's more work intensive um, during the course of holding those properties. Um, you've got ones where you need to hop up funding from elsewhere, where you need to bring in equity uh, from other properties to help you purchase a new one. So there are so many options. I think the main thing is to get a good advisor on board, regardless of who they are, that know the market and just have that sit down chat with them because everybody's um, circumstances are completely different. And it may well be that something that's absolutely perfect for somebody else would be a nightmare for another person. So it's just so important to sit down and run through absolutely everything, your personal circumstances, where you are now and where you're looking to head so that you can get everything in place to suit you and future proof it almost. There's no point going on to a product now that won't work for you in a year or two's time. You may as well try and get that long term solution there rather than chopping and changing every couple of years. Mm -hmm. And so when someone comes and sits down with you, what would you expect them to bring? What do you need to know about somebody? Mm -hmm. So to begin with, we just need to know what it is they're looking to do. Obviously, through the application process, you'll need things like bank statements, credit file, SA302s, um, P60s if you're still in full-time employment. But to begin with, all we need is you. Um, go through your story, go through what you've done previously, what you're looking to do right now and where you're looking to go. Because until you've got that information, you don't know what you need from the client. Mm -hmm. And so do they have to bring a deal analysis with them? Are you looking at that? You're looking at what the property is that they found? Mm -hmm. And do you need yes. to be under offer? So being under offer helps because it means that it's a more concrete deal it gives you something more tangible to discuss because obviously before somebody's put an offer in, may well be that the purchase price changes, the terms of the purchase change, or that they might not even take the deal. So if you go through all of that work and the deal doesn't go ahead, there's obviously kind of abortive cost in terms of time, um, mm -hmm. not upfront cost monetary wise, but in terms of time wasted by both the client and us. But it may well be that somebody doesn't have a deal at the moment, but wants to know what they could do financing wise to give them that confidence to go and look for deals. So, again, it completely depends what the client's looking for. We do a client's day in, day out that say, look, this is what I'm after. This is what I'm hoping to do. Can I do it? Mm -hmm. Usually the answer is yes, but it will be a different way of facilitating that for every single client. And those discussions normally give the client enough confidence to think, right, great. It might not be what I came in thinking would be the solution, but there is a solution. Now let's go and find a deal. 
and then they find the deal they come back and then we implement that solution and it works really nicely right from the start of their journey all the way through to their first property and then you work through to their second property so they're working on just investment properties to start with then they start looking at the auction flip so doing the bridging then they do the heavier development and you work through this whole journey with the client and it's so exciting to see and really build that relationship and that understanding that as soon as they get in touch you already know everything that's gone on how they've got to where they are now and you build that really strong relationship Mm-hmm. that's something I preach about on this podcast your team have that relationship mm. with the people that you work with because once you do that you can then have people who know instinctively what you need mm-hmm. as opposed to just plucking people out of the air who you, who you go to just because they're cheap or yeah they've got an offer you need people that you work with on a continuous basis so yeah And you can have those more honest conversations as well. So if a client's come to you in the middle of a bit of a sticky situation or something, it's very difficult to have those blunt conversations of this isn't going to work. or Have you thought about this? Whereas if you've spent the time building that relationship there with the client, there's far more open dialogue where both sides feel like they can be far more open with the other and instantly say, no, that's not going to work. But have you thought about this without worrying about hurting others' feelings or because you have that really strong working relationship there that's been there right from the start? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So important, so important. So one of the things that I've, got, I've been asked a lot about recently is banking rules and regulations and they've changed. Mm-hmm. And can you advise what property investors need to be aware of right now with changes to banking rules and regulations? Mm -hmm. So the main change has actually been the PRA regulation regarding the portfolio landlords. So a portfolio landlord is deemed to be anybody that holds four or more investment properties. And again, it's something that's been quite hyped up in the media, online, and it's probably caused far more cause cause for concern than it should have done. Um, The only difference is that the application process might be slightly more onerous. So all they've done is they've brought in this regulation to ensure that lenders are looking at a more holistic view once you're deemed to be that professional landlord. So they want to make sure that you've got a business plan in place. It's being treated far more as a business. They're checking that the affordability is there across the full portfolio. So when you go and get lending for a new property, the lender that's doing the finance against the new property will want to look at the finance across the other properties also make sure that you can still afford all the finance across your full portfolio even with this new level of lending against this new property they'll look at any income outside of your portfolio as well they'll look at your personal expenditure and everything just to make sure that you can afford to live and that you've got those background costs covered as well So the only difference really is the additional due diligence that a lender does and therefore the time that it takes to go through the application process is going to be slightly longer. But lenders are getting used to that application process now. Um, They're getting the hang of streamlining it. It probably caused more delays when it first came out than it does now. Um, 
and it's just basically making sure that it's the right thing for the client even though it seems like a bit of a drag it is just fundamentally there to ensure that people don't get into situations that they can't get out of okay and I guess that then goes back to what we were just talking about that if you have a good broker or someone Mm -hmm. who can help you with your finance you're going to be helping them through it yeah yeah so it's quite easy to understand what a lender is going to be looking for especially when you do it day in day out so for example my team you sit down and you look through the full portfolio the client will send you their portfolio you sit there you run all the figures you look through it all with them yes it's a liability statement you look through all of that just to ensure that headline everything looks okay from our side And any good broker will be able to do that because it's their bread and butter. It's what they do day in, day out, and they know what to look for. So, again, it's building those relationships and it's getting that advice kind of early on as and when you're looking to do something. Yeah. Okay. So, actually, it's not as bad as people think. It's, again, just scaremongering. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it sounds a lot more confusing when you're outside of it all as well. So it's very easy as somebody that's involved in it day in, day out, has had all the press releases through kind of the professional press in the industry and all the coverage on it. It's very easy to sit here and say, oh, it's nothing onerous. It's absolutely fine. Whereas when there's somebody that doesn't live, breathe, eat finance for the snippets that come out into the mainstream media it probably does make it sound far more complicated and onerous than it actually is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay so then let's talk about what different types of finance options we've now mm-hmm. got available to us as property investors because we all know about your traditional buy to let mortgage um what different options are there? Because we're all, we're all hearing finance is so hard to get or it's tight or, you know, all of these different things. But actually, do we have a lot of different options available that we could use whenever we're looking at a deal? Mm-hmm. So there's actually a huge range of financing options. And because of the relatively low barriers to entry, especially in non-regulated markets, so the bridging, the developments, there are so many lenders entering the market all buying for business they all want to make money and the only way they make money is by lending so it's actually pushed all the interest rates and everything down the only thing that i think is very important to consider is actually whether or not you've got a good deal providing you've got a good deal there there will definitely be lenders there to lend obviously there are things that can add complexities like poor credit in the background or Even a couple of missed payments might make it slightly more complicated, but there are still definitely lenders there to lend. And people get quite hung up, say a property is unmortgageable, for example. It's not got the kitchen or the bathroom there. And people automatically think of bridging and they go, oh, goodness, I'm not going to use bridging. It's far too expensive. It's far too much of a drag to go through. When actually, when used correctly, Bridging can facilitate a deal that would be otherwise inaccessible, and it can be a really, really good tool. But it's just getting the right people there that can help advise and can help support you through all of that. So, I mean, to give an example, a a client of ours at the moment's finished a development. They've hit practical completion on all the properties, but they're wanting to refinance and retain so that they're adding to their portfolio. 
and they hit a bit of a sticking point. The refinance is taking slightly longer than they expected. And they immediately thought, oh, my goodness, this is this is the end. We're going to go over when actually there's a product called Developer Exit Bridge, which is a specific product for getting you off a development finance loan before you go into the longer term mortgage. And the preconception would be that's incredibly expensive. And it's actually only 0.44 a month, which works out at about 5.6% per annum, which isn't rates that you traditionally associate with bridging at all. And it's just speaking to the right people. And again, there are, there are lots of brokers out there that can help and that can eat, sleep, breathe, broking, um, bridging finance, development finance. And it's just speaking to those professionals to look at what options you've got before you write things off as inaccessible, too expensive, I've not got the right experience. Because, for example, one of the things that often I get taught, I'm asked about is you buy something with a significant discount on it just because the seller Mm -hmm. needs to get rid of it really, really quickly. You don't Mm -hmm. necessarily have to go in there and do any works on it. But often you know, then you're thinking, well, hold on a minute, I've actually got equity in here that I would quite like Mm -hmm. to have access to. Are there ways in which you could do that pretty quickly and get the equity back out? Yeah, so there are lenders in the market that will do uh, day one valuation. So what they'll do is they'll one day and essentially discount the purchase price and go on the market valuation. Those lenders are few and far between. They are reduced because obviously it could potentially be deemed to be a slightly higher risk lend because you're going against something that could be higher than the purchase price. But that is an option. Another option would be that you could look at bridging the property. Um, So you bridge the acquisition, especially if you want to complete quickly, and that's part of your negotiation to get the price that you have. It would be a useful time to utilize bridging and where bridging would actually be an incredibly good tool as opposed to something that's just expensive and unnecessary. And again, you put the bridge in there, that could complete in two to four weeks even, um, which puts you into the cash buyer market, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then you can go with a lender that even could bridge it and then do the refinance themselves, um, especially if there is a bit of work that you need to be doing to it. There are quite a few lenders that do a bridge-to-term product, which will bridge it, get it purchased quickly for you and then put that term mortgage in place at the uplifted value and do you have to wait six months for that in some cases yes in some cases no so there are lenders that won't make you wait six months especially if you can show why the value isn't what you purchased it for so that's where the day one lenders come in where providing you can give a strong explanation as to why the value will be higher than the purchase price they will consider the uplifted value okay interesting because traditionally that's not been available no no it hasn't and again I think it's signs of things changing in the market lenders becoming more flexible and lenders almost flying for business um they have to do things that make them stand out and so many lenders are so similar that they're constantly looking at what products they can bring out that encourage clients to go to them as opposed to another lender. So it makes it a very good borrower's market, providing, again, you have the right team around you that can point you in the right directions and give you the right support and advice based on what it is you're looking to do. Mm, Interesting. 
Okay, so that's really good. So for everybody who's listening, who always says, are there any options available for not waiting the six months? Alice has got them. <laughs> so there's no guarantees on it, but there are products mm-hmm. available, which is, which is real positive, I think. Um, so here's another question. And this is something that I've been asked directly from in my Facebook community. Um, when you've got a portfolio with a large mortgage, what is the shortest route to deleveraging and reducing debt? Mm-hmm. So it completely depends on the income. Um, the majority of lenders, I mean, first things first, you'd want to go on to a mortgage product that gives you capital repayments as well as interest. Okay. Because if you're constantly repaying the interest and that's it, the actual loan against the facility is never going to decrease. So first thing first, you want to make sure that you have a facility in place where you're making the capital repayments as well as the interest to drop the loan on a monthly basis in increments. And you need to make sure that the affordability is, of course, there to make the payments for the capital as well as the interest. And the next one is to make bulk pay downs as and when you can. So say you're doing flips on the side and you get money in, in quite a chunky um, periodic time mm-hmm. frame. Um, the majority of lenders will let you pay down about 10% of the facility remaining a year. Um, so you can make those payments up to 10% without any early redemption charges kicking in. So as in when you get a lump sum in and you want to drop that portfolio mortgage down, start looking at what the maximum is and it will be in the loan documents as to what your cap is but the majority of lenders it does tend to be 10% of the remaining facility and start making those payments to pay it down. Okay that's a really really good advice thank you for that. So next question would you use different options so finance options for a development or a flip? So if you were developing to hold or you were just flipping on and selling what would be the difference? Mm -hmm. So if you were just outright flipping, um, there was no long-term plan to retain, you just wanted those quick wins, essentially. Mm-hmm. Go in, do up the product, uh, do up the property, sell it on and pull your profit out and reinvest. It would definitely be a bridge you were looking at. So bridging finance usually runs anywhere from about three to 15 months, depending on what it is that you're looking to do. And again, lenders are led by that. So you will tell the lender, how long you need um, the term to be. So if you think that maybe it's going to take three months to refurb and then three months to sell, we just go straight to the lender and say, we're looking for that six month term. Um, On bridging finance, I would always allow slightly longer than you need because it's better to have that bit of breathing room um, than to be on an incredibly tight timeframe because the way that bridging finance interest works is they calculate your overall loan, usually up to 75% loan to value, and potentially cover works as well, depending on how heavy the works are that you're looking to do. And they will actually deduct the interest for the full term from that overall facility. So you're not having to look at servicing debt, you're not having to look at finding another monthly income from a property that isn't cash generating, to make sure that you're servicing the debt, it is all taken away from that overall loan. And the other benefit to that is they will retain, say, six months if you've asked for a six-month term. But after three months, 
they don't tend to charge you penalty interest if you repay early. So say you've asked for a six month term, they've deducted six months interest, but you actually only use four months of that because you repay in month four. They will deduct two months worth of interest from what you have to repay on the facility. So you don't actually get charged to the interest on the months that you don't utilize. The only impact will be the amount that they deduct on day one and making sure that you can still make it work with that extra bit deducted. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Can I ask what sort of interest are we looking interest rates are we looking on mm-hmm. these shorter term finance options? So it completely depends on a wide range of factors. Anything from um, 50% auction purchase, so 50% loan to value, auction purchase, you could be getting somewhere around 0.44% per month mark, which again is around 5.6% per annum. But then if you're going to a slightly quirkier asset or you're going up to the higher loan to values, you'd probably be looking at somewhere between about 069 to 0.95% per month. And then anything above and beyond that, so incredibly quirky, um, it's something that's a bit out there. There's a bit of a higher risk aspect to it. Um, you'd be looking at 1%, one to, well, 1 to 1.25% at the absolute maximum, unless it was something horrific you were looking to purchase um so I would say if you work towards 0.7 to 1 percent if you're looking at maximum loan to values on a residential asset that will give you a there or thereabouts rate okay great and so here's a question can you ever get 100 percent finance for a deal yes but you need the right parameters in place. So for example, if you're purchasing significantly below market value, there are lenders that will go up to 100% of purchase, but they will do a large amount of due diligence on that. So that will have to be confirmed by a valuer that the current value is that you're saying it is to the lender, um, that it's a strong asset. So again, anything a bit quirky, you're unlikely to get 100%. But if it's a standard residential purchase, um, I don't know, it's a distressed sale because somebody's in maybe some bad debt, looking just to get the asset gone, pull some equity out enough to repay whatever they've got to repay, then that can be taken into consideration. You do need to make sure you go with the correct lenders because there are only a handful of lenders that will do the 100% because, again, it's considered that higher risk lending, um, especially on the below market Mm. values. But it's speaking to the right people that know how to facilitate those. And if you're not purchasing below market value, 100% lending can also be done on those, but you'd look to use additional security. So, for example, you found a property auction that you really, really, really want to buy. You don't necessarily have 100% or the 25% required above and beyond the bridging finance to top it up. The majority of bridging finance providers can look to put second charges against other properties held elsewhere. Um, Even your residential property, they can put a second charge against that to use some of the equities there to top up the funding to 100%. Okay, and how much interest are we looking at this? Is it bad? It's not horrible. So if you're purchasing below market value, 
um, and you're wanting 100% purely secured against the main asset, so the asset that you're purchasing or you're looking to put finance against, you'll be looking at between 1, 1.25% per month. So at the higher end, but if it facilitates a deal that makes you money and works, then it's very worthwhile. Mm-hmm. If you're doing 100% finance where you're remaining at the 75% loan to value mark on the purchase the purchase property, but you're using additional security from elsewhere. So you're using equity in your personal residence on a second charge or even across your portfolio. Um, that will be standard rate. So that will be 0.7 to 1% because the lender doesn't deem it very high risk because the top up required, they're actually just pulling from somewhere else. It's not as if they're putting their necks on the line. Okay. So it's so possible and not as disgusting mm-hmm. as I thought you were going to tell me it was going to be. Yeah, no, absolutely possible. Absolutely possible. It's just having those open communications and giving yourself enough time. So it always makes it far more challenging if someone comes and says, right, we need 100% finance, we need it in two weeks. Whereas if you give yourself that breathing room to look at other assets that you've got, even something ridiculous, like we had somebody with some unencumbered supercars and you could raise equity against those supercars to top up the funding. So there's there are always ways that you can at least look at it and probably solutions that don't even occur to you um it's just getting the right team and having those open conversations okay so what's the biggest error someone can make when they try and go and get finance i think the biggest one is being dishonest or withholding information um in the fear that it will put you in a bad light so the most common one is maybe when there is a couple of missed payments even if it's not significant I mean we see everything up to bankruptcy so a couple of missed payments in the grand scheme of things are nothing Um, but a lot of people maybe don't necessarily disclose that up front and then it comes out when lenders are doing their due diligence they're doing their credit checks against you um, and it throws a bit of a spanner in the works whereas if everything is disclosed up front we know the full picture we're told about the mispayments or the CCJ or the default, you can make sure that you're put with the right lender or on the right path before you commit to someone. So I think the biggest, biggest, biggest thing that people can do is regardless of whether you're going direct to a lender or whether you're going through a broker and intermediary is to provide that full picture and be completely open honest about the good, the bad and the ugly because it means that you can get onto a correct product from day one without causing any delays where you find something negative out partway through the application process and you're pushed all the way back to square one again where you're having to look and picking other lenders. So I think the absolute, absolute, absolute must is being completely open about something. And that's far easier when you've got those strong relationships there and feel like you're dealing with somebody that won't be judging you, you won't be sitting there thinking, oh my goodness. And again, that all comes down to the strength of relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's very good advice. So I've had a, I've had another listener question. Um, and 
this is about securing finance. So in this person's case, they've had an interest only mortgage with RBS, which reaches the end of its term in a year from now when the person hits 70. And it appears that lenders aren't interested in remortgaging lower valued properties for portfolio landlords. And basically, they're saying they have to find 50k or get repossessed. Do, what would you advise them to do in that situation? So it is a tricky situation because they have got quite a lot going against them. Um, being 70 obviously isn't with an appetite of most lenders. Um, and again, the lower value properties, a lot of lenders have a minimum loan size um, around the 100, 200,000 pound mark, but it's not a deal breaker. So there are lenders out there that can go up to aged 85 at the end of term. So even now, age 70, you could look at getting a 15-year product put into place. Um, And there are lenders that will look at the smaller scale, especially if there's another portfolio there in the background. Um, It may well be that you can even look at refinancing a couple of other properties just to get that minimum loan size hit. So there are a number of factors. Um, One thing to consider that isn't actually covered in the question is whether or not it's limited company or personal name. Mm-hmm. In a way, limited company actually would help in this scenario because you could potentially bring in a successor essentially to show that there's clear succession planning there in the business, in the property business. So I think with a bit more information, there could definitely be a solution. Um, it's just speaking to a professional and having those conversations to see what you can do okay so hopefully they're listening and I'm going to put Alison's details below this uh, podcast so if you are listening to this get in contact with Alice I'm sure she'll be able to put you in the right direction so we're just about to wrap up but there's one thing I do want to say is that we hear so many horror stories in the industry and you and I were talking about this just before we went live on this podcast what are the things that you want people to know that maybe are rumour mill boomers that are scaring people that actually shouldn't even be being talked about? Mm-hmm. So a big one at the moment is the peer-to-peer lenders that keep collapsing. So you've seen Lendy collapse, you've seen Amicus collapse, and actually today you've seen Funding Secure collapse, which is another peer-to-peer lender. And I think it very much puts people off lending in general Um, And it scares individuals, as it would, quite understandably. But again, when you're dealing with a broker or an intermediary that deals with these people day in, day out, you do get a feel for the lenders that are lending at the leverages that are going to be unsustainable, that are maybe getting themselves into a position where you wouldn't feel comfortable putting a client their way. So I wouldn't let these horror stories scaremonger um, because any industry has issues with people falling out of the market new people coming in Um, I think the other thing that concerns people is when lenders especially in the alternative lending market aren't FCA regulated it puts a lot of people's backs up when actually it's nothing too serious because when you get under the skin of it a lot of lenders that aren't FCA regulated are still working to an incredibly high standard. And the truth of it was, if they went for FCA regulation, they could probably get it anyway because they're working to those standards. Um, And again, with people thinking that finance is too expensive, 
I think there are some people out there that have probably let a good deal go out of fear of the lending being too complicated or too expensive, when actually, if it facilitates a deal, even a higher expense than a standard buy-to-let mortgage would make it worthwhile. And whilst an application process is slightly onerous, I mean, it's not going to be kind of overnight because obviously a lender's giving you money. They want to make sure that they've done some due diligence. But with the right team and the right professionals, they will support you through that application process. It it won't be pulling teeth. It, you get a standard list of information that you need to provide and it's nothing scary. It's things that you'll have anyway, like your bank statements, your proof of address, your passport. And it, it, it might feel like you've got a never ending list of things that you've got to provide, but it is all very straightforward. So just don't let the thought scare you from at least weighing up the possibilities. I think that's really good advice. Really good advice. Alice, this has been amazing. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. I appreciate it. And as I said, I'm going to put you for having me. I'm going to put your contact details below this podcast so that anybody who's listening can get in contact with Alice and ask for her amazing advice. So if you've listened to this and you found this awesome, I'd love to know what your key takeaways are for this. Please put it in the comments section for this podcast or head on over to the Property Investment Mastery Facebook group where we can continue this conversation. And don't forget to subscribe and give me a review because it really helps. And if you think that your friends and family and people that you know can benefit from this podcast, please do pass it on um, because your support means that you're supporting the podcast and that we can continue to go on and do bigger and brighter things to help you as a property investor. So thank you for listening to us today. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.